Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll conclude our study of First Peter by looking at First Peter chapter 5. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. As Peter is closing out his letter, he wants to make sure that his readers understand how that they can keep things going. He's talked to them about their role inside the household of God, their place inside the temple of God, the way they should view things from that temple. In the first century, as Christians were persecuted and moving around, how did they maintain stability and continuity? We, 2,000 years later, often are looking for ways to recapture and imitate that first century church. How do we do that? Well, Peter starts by talking about the need for good spiritual leaders. Unfortunately, in our time, we're very tempted to choose spiritual leaders based on their personality or the benefit that they can provide us, whether it's a position of power or influence or even monetarily, we gravitate to people who we feel give us a sense of power or control. But since those things are often exactly the opposite of what God calls us to, Peter encourages his readers to find good godly leaders who exemplify the character of Christ. He starts by admonishing those who have already been acknowledged as elders to be willing to mentor others. 
he uses the phrase shepherd the flock. But in our vernacular, we talk about mentors, folks who have some experience in a particular area, and they share that with uh, folks who are trying to follow the same path. Peter says a good spiritual leader is one who's willing to mentor the people who come to him. Peter also says these spiritual leaders are not looking to gain any kind of advantage. He specifically says that they should not allow themselves to be in the position of leader in order to achieve some type of shameful gain, whether that's monetarily, whether that's having leverage, power, control. People who are genuinely being shepherds for Jesus are not interested in in controlling people. They're not looking to gain anything as a result of it. In our time, we should be very wary of people who call themselves spiritual leaders but seem to be only in it for the money, whose bank accounts increase, whose power and control, whose influence increase, maybe even whose church membership increases, but they're not building disciples of Christ. The people under them are not learning how to look like Jesus. And Peter says not only should they be willing to mentor and not looking to gain any type of advantage, they should be eager to do God's will. They should be willing to do this for their own benefit. They should be willing to do it for the benefit of God. But in doing so, they actually provide an example for those who come to them for leadership. Very often, people learn best when they have an example, when they have hands-on teaching. Uh, Just reading a book or hearing someone say things is not the same as having experiences with them and, and seeing them put these things into practice so that you can imitate them. Peter says a good spiritual leader will be a mentor, will not take advantage of that, will be eager to do God's will, and will do it in a way that allows you to follow their example. When Peter gets to verse 5, he encourages those who are looking for a spiritual leader once they found a good and qualified leader, to actually follow them. He tells them, it's very important that you not look for a spiritual leader who agrees with your way of doing things. You should find a spiritual leader who's willing to show you God's way and then follow them. Our goal as Christians is to fulfill the purposes that God has given us, to honor Him with our lives, to be living sacrifices for Him. God's promised to us if we will empty ourselves, let Him live those lives for us, He will reward us for that, and we will live with Him for eternity. We're also told as we're learning— As we are growing, as we are looking to spiritual leaders to help us, we have to be humble and gracious with others. We can't look down on others because maybe we're a little further down the road in our learning and our education. Maybe our lives outwardly appear to be more like Christ. We may be tempted to look down on others or to expect others to be at exactly the same place we are, even though we don't know their circumstances. Peter says, Find a leader that you can follow, but make sure that you're humble and gracious with others. And as Peter wraps up this letter, he makes sure that everyone understands that they need to humbly submit to God. In verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. 
In a previous episode dealing with First Peter, we talked about submission. We talked about what it looks like with our governments, in our homes, in our churches, uh, in our jobs. And we talked about how difficult that idea of submission is for some of us. And it's bad enough when we have a hard time submitting to one another. But many of us have difficulty submitting to God. And maybe we don't fully understand what it is. And if so, that is holding us back from experiencing the best of this life because God only asks us to do the things that benefit us. Peter lets us know that humbly submitting to God includes letting God set right the things that trouble us. Verse 7, he says, cast your anxieties on him. He cares for you. We live in a time and in a society that seems to be very anxious. We're very worried about what the future holds. We're not always sure what to expect, and that causes us to be anxious. Peter reminds us that if we have cast our cares on him, there's nothing to be anxious about. If we're trusting God with the results of all of our circumstances, there's nothing for us to worry about. Governments may do things we don't like. Things may happen in our families that we don't like. Things may happen in our jobs that absolutely frustrate us. But if we cast those cares on God and we walk through those troubles as God directs us, we come through that trouble, we overcome, and we're better as a result. Humbly submitting to God means that we let him set those things right. This submission also includes keeping our minds clear of things that distract us from our purpose. For the third time in this short letter in verse 8, Peter tells his readers that they should be sober-minded. We've already made the observation that that means clear thinking, being able to see clearly your circumstances uh, the way God does so that you can respond to them the way he would have you. He tells his readers to be watchful, Pay attention to what's going on around you. Don't be distracted from your purpose. As we read the Gospels, that's one of the amazing things that we notice about Jesus pretty easily is that he did not seem to be distracted from his purpose. He was always moving toward his purpose and doing and saying things that contributed to that purpose. If we're humbly submitting to God, we're living a life the same way. But this humble submission to God also means that we absolutely refuse to submit to the devil. Most of us may think, well, of course. But the reality is that we often find ourselves more likely to do what Satan wants us to do than what God wants us to do. But Peter reminds his readers that they need to resist Satan and stand firm in their faith, knowing that suffering is being experienced by Christians throughout the world. We have to stand together. We have to work on this together. We have to be examples together. And we can't give in to the devil because our lives are to honor and glorify God. Ultimately, this humble submission to God is realizing who's really in charge. Just like Peter says in verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. God is in charge forever and ever. We don't have to acknowledge that. We don't even have to live like it's true. But it doesn't change reality. Humbly submitting to God is just acknowledging that God really is in charge, that we absolutely believe that, and we know that's the best way to live our lives. 
So as Peter has written this entire letter about being humble and submitting, he closes in verse 12 by saying that he's done this to make sure that they realize that is the true grace of God. When we humbly submit to him and we do all the things that he's asked us to, we interact with the government and the nations around us in the way that God wants to. When we act in our homes and in our jobs and in our churches the way God wants us to, he has promised to rescue us from all our trouble. He has promised us to do us that favor. That is the true grace of God. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.